Well, I want to welcome all of you to my podcast. The latest episode is going to be with Vienna Hayden. And you guys are going to be intrigued. If you want to know about digital marketing for your business, then you're coming to the right place with this podcast because she's going to show you uh, all the secrets behind the curtain, you know, as far as digital marketing goes. And I know for me, I was a dinosaur in my business. Can you believe I, until I was, until 2018, I never had a website. I was making a million dollars uh some years easy as an investor and never had a website <laughs> so, i believe it <laughs> well i'm a real caveman when it comes to that stuff so anyway um hey why don't you, vienna why don't you uh, uh introduce yourself and tell us how uh what you're doing yeah well thank you so much for that introduction i kind of feel like the wizard of oz in the digital world now <laughs> so i got into digital marketing when i was in real estate investment and i didn't quite realize i was doing digital marketing at the time. It was more like a means to an end to find properties. And I'd been doing that for 15 years. But last year, I started going through a divorce and was told, hey, you can't really move money around for properties anymore. So find something else to do by the lawyer. So I ended up getting into digital marketing through a friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. And it started with car dealerships. And I've kind of taken off running and just I really went down deep into that digital rabbit hole since then. So it's been a really cool journey and I've discovered there are so many parallels and similarities to the real estate investment world. And I'll be able to use the cash flow from the company to kind of get back into that when the dust settles from my personal situation. But I have found an absolute passion and love with doing the digital marketing. So awesome. it's kind of a blessing in disguise. Okay. Well, listen, you're talking to a 20 year real estate investing veteran. So obviously my, my ears perk up when I hear real estate <laughs> investors. So, so what were you doing for 15 years? What, what was your, uh, what was your investing strategy? So it kind of bounced because I started when I was 19 in college, when I bought my first house and I house hacked it. It was a five bedroom, mm-hmm. half a mile from the campus. And I rented out four of the bedrooms. The mortgage and utilities were completely covered. And I basically lived for free. So yeah. throwing cankers on the weekends was really easy. <laughs> and I knew I wanted to set myself up to be in the real estate world because I saw like I was in Phoenix, Arizona. So the boom was happening there. And I ended up getting an internship with a real estate developer and they just needed like warm bodies to kind of cover things. So I got thrown into this $43 million shopping center development and they were in between construction managers. They're like, well, hey, you're studying construction. So go ahead and uh, take over for, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So (laughs) I'm sitting there with a bunch of crusty old contractors going, where are we? It says we should be here. Well, we're not. Next thing you know, I'm just asking questions and kind of figuring it out. And that was a really cool experience. And then I ended up going into electrical construction when the market crashed, because that was all that was available. Started my own company. Is this back in 2008? Yeah. when all the crash happened. And then I ended up going, uh, starting a general contracting company and we focused a lot on TIs. So the electrical did all the work for the general and that kind of became the bread and butter as we started picking up houses to flip. Mm -hmm. And I had a quarter life crisis where I thought I needed to become a surgeon after my first divorce. That was hilarious, but I got out of that and went back into real estate and started buying apartment buildings. I took a course and I decided I had to get back in commercial, but I didn't want to be on the contractor side. I had to be an investor this time. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And that's where I got my next start in buying apartments. So I mm-hmm. did my first 42 unit deal with a group and helped syndicate that in Oklahoma. And then I worked with another group and we syndicated 280 units in Houston, oh. Texas. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting on 322 units in the portfolio right now and mm-hmm. hoping that I can start growing that again come, you know, the next year or so. How, uh, how do you guys hold title to that? Those, those um, the, it's, it's all through the LLC of the syndication. Gotcha. Okay. So are you the general, are you a GP on that or, or is that? No, or, I was going to be GP on a couple deals last year that I had to let go thanks to my legal situation, gotcha. <laughs> which is kind of a bummer. Cause I was like, just getting into that threshold pocket of huh? moving into the GC yeah. and not just bringing investors to the table as like one of them, but actually right. being the person and it all kind of fell apart. So it is what it is and sure. I'll get back to it. It's hey. actually a blessing in disguise, given what the market has done with the interest rates, because we were all using that same model of mm-hmm. pick it up on the bridge loan and then refinance it 12 to 18 months later. And right. well, we see what's happening now. All of those predictions on three and a half percent interest rates are not looking as yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know that. So, you know, I'm a short sale investor myself, so okay. I'm, I'm waiting you know, for me, I don't mind this stuff happening because I thrive when the market yeah. goes down a little bit. So totally you know, back when the market <laughs> crashed for you, that's when I was in my heyday. So we actually, I mean, honestly, uh, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. So when I first got got into real estate, I'm in Orlando. Uh, okay. you know, it was a hot market back then. You know, you're too young to remember that, yeah. but I remember it. It was really, really hot. And the same dynamics that happened then are, are happening now in a sense, although a lot of gloom and doomers have been predicting this since COVID and it hasn't happened. And, you know, it may not happen again for a while. I mean, it's just, I have no idea what's going to happen on the real estate side. Yeah. None of us really do. You know, I do remember the mid eighties though. I remember how we had, you know, just a brutal uh, um, combination of high interest rates and high inflation. So, I mean, but I keep, I keep, I keep telling myself to keep this in perspective. We have seven, like seven percent interest or something like that, and in, in inflation kind mm-hmm. of the same area. But I, I keep saying, look, remember when I graduated high school, and, and I was trying to be a real estate investor back then. This is in the, in the like I said, early '80s and mid '80s. I mean, we're talking about eighteen percent interest. I mean, people could wow. only dream of ten percent. People thought right. back then they would never get down to ten percent. You know, so well, we've been spoiled for so long. That, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, the thing is, is that, again, I've been I've been I've been around a while. I'll be 59 next, you know, next February. And so you learn some things and you realize yeah. that history never repeats itself exactly the way it did before. But right. trends do. And regardless <laughs> of what how it happens, we're due for a correction. Right. We know that looking at the cyclical process of the markets. I mean, I remember sitting in seminars back when the 08 crash happened Mm -hmm. in the real estate world and just talking about things from a commercial perspective with Mm -hmm. the retail sector, the industrial, the commercial, the housing. And we looked back at the, you know, the crash of the 80s that you're talking about and then what happened in the 90s, right before the dot com thing happened. And so, you know, every 10 to 15 years, we kind of see this go through cycles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you learn to ride the waves. I call us investors the surfers of real yeah. estate. Yes. <laughs> Grab your yeah. surfboard, baby, because it's almost time. <laughs> right. And isn't it nice to be able to pivot when you need to? Oh, yeah. It's great. You know, and you just figure people, out how to yeah. make it work. A lot of people can't. 
I mean, it's 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 amazing to me. I have saw so many people back in the you know when the market was hot in Florida, and bless their hearts. And I'm I'm from the South originally. I lost my accent a long time ago, but but you know what bless their hearts means, right? It's not oh, yeah. it's not bless your heart if you know what I'm saying. But I just felt I'm sorry. I, I just felt sorry for them because they they did not know how to pivot, and yeah. they they put they quit their jobs. They start. They, we're going to be an investor. This is easy. Yeah, it's easy when a rising tide is lifting all uh -huh. boats. Oh yeah. What happens when that tide recedes? But they never. They, there's this human nature quality that people don't believe that it's ever going to change. It's always going to be this way, and it never is ever. No. It's going to correct at some point. I've always told people to think of real estate like a bell curve. Like you, you know, you take statistics, and we all hated our math class back in the right. day, but. You know, you look at the bell curve and like we were right here all through 2019, 2021. And then we're starting to do this at the top of the bell curve and heading down right now as we enter into 2023. And that, you know, there's strategies that you use when you're on the up and up. There's strategies you use at the top and there's strategies you use as you're coming down and different phases of the downward, you know, curve. Exactly. And so as long as you've got like your tool belt of strategies to, mm -hmm. you know, and put into place as soon as you get to that particular place in the market and you're watching things and making very conservative investments and everything, you're going to be fine. I think that the greatest wealth accumulation happens when the, in the down markets. 100%. You know, that's where the real opportunity is and people bail, you know? They do. And a lot of people start cutting out marketing too. I mean, that's one of the oh, trends that I've seen. Like yes. I think in the past four months, I've lost over $50,000 in revenue, mm -hmm. which is crazy to think about. I mean, it hurts a little bit, but at the same time, I get it. Like I'm the first person to go when you're looking at cutting expenses in most people's minds. But if you oh. have a truly growth mindset, like what we're talking about, even in real estate, you yeah. have to recognize that when the market starts to go down, that's not when you cut your marketing. That's when you amp up your marketing that's and you look at other places did. in the business to cut. Because that's, that's where you get your lead generation. That's where you get the business coming in. And that's where you get your market share. That's when you yes. grab it. You know, and uh -huh. unfortunately, as marketers, we have to educate people on that phenomenon because the the natural yes. reaction is to pull back. Right? Yes. And you, you really become more of a professor type thing where you have to say, look, I know it's counterintuitive, but that's the wrong decision. And sometimes they, they come back, you know, but sometimes they don't and, and, and their businesses go under, or they suffer tremendously. It's just, it's a human nature situation. You know? So, I mean, yep. uh, I've certainly gone through that. You know, I, I have scars over my forehead and banging my head against the wall with people who, you know, in my, in my particular specialty, you know, you have people who, who have who filed chapter seven bankruptcy and they don't right. think the house is theirs anymore. And I have, right. to, I'm like pulling my hair out saying, you realize a bankruptcy is not, I, I would say, I got the point of saying, show me your deed. Show me the deed where you signed the property over to the, to the bank. Yeah. You didn't. And, you know, and for the love of me, they, and the, the, the attorneys already got paid. They didn't care. They said, I don't worry about it. Just let it go. You know, everyone anyway, just puts a lien on stuff. As soon as the liens are paid out, what's, what's left when the dust settles is yours still. So exactly. the people, people and start then, to rebuild. People can live in the house for two, three years rent free until it went to auction, and they did. They just left. Yeah. They get, they, you know, it's just the, the 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 biggest frustration that I'm sure we all have in business is when people just stubbornly cling to completely wrong information, and yeah. you can talk to your blue in the face, and they will just 
you know, and there's a certain percentage of that's who they are. Uh, and, and you just focus on the ones that, that, that are movable and the ones that aren't movable, you're wasting your time. You know? Well, I laughed because I, you know, I saw a funny TikTok video and this tying this back into the marketing, this yeah. gal was like, you know, I've got a friend that makes 20,000 a month as a digital marketer. All he does is copywriting and he works two hours a day. I'm yeah. like, well, tell more. I'm very interested. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, he just gets jobs on Upwork and he goes in and punches things into a copywriting AI bot oh, and then yeah, spits it back out to them. And I just started cracking up. I'm like, she's like, I always ask, why do companies not just do this themselves? Why do they got to hire a guy? Well, I don't know. It's just easier. We're going to hire a guy who knows what he's doing. Exactly. And there it is. Like, that's the mentality that you're talking about. You're sitting here telling people like, hey, you can do this thing. You have all this money, mm -hmm. but they still won't listen. And they yeah. still go about whatever the cow path is. And that's the beauty yeah. about being an entrepreneur or an investor mm -hmm. or whatever it is that we're doing. Right. You know, we decided, screw the cow path. I'm right. going off roading, baby. Right. Right. And that's where the that's where the money is. You know, that's where the yeah. money is right now. I mean, I'm going, I mean, uh, just take the spotlight off of you for a second and just, just yeah. illustrate something. Right now, I have been uh I'm not struggling, I'm doing really well actually, but I, my biggest thing right now is I'm educating real estate investors on the fact that if they use a trust that I am able to provide for them, then they, any sale of, of uh, investment property, all any capital gains is non-taxable if it's a trust asset when you sell it. And they are so tied to the 1031 exchange. And I tell them, all you're doing, first of all, with 1031 Exchange, you're just kicking the kicking the can down the road, number one. And I said, I said, you know, well, we've always done it this way. Yeah, but you didn't know about the trust. Now you don't have to do it anymore. Now, literally, you can, you know, you can, as long as you make that, as long as you sell that asset into the trust with you as a trustee, then you sell the investment property. No matter what the capital gains are, it's non-taxable. And, you know, and some people get it and just say jump. But I tell you what, it is such a challenge sometimes to just to make them understand that just because they haven't heard of it before doesn't mean it's not true. You know, right. And look, if there's a way to save tax dollars and make more money on your yeah. money, it is not advertised. And, you know, one of the things that I've been accused of in my divorce is hiding money. And it's ah, literally because opposing counsel doesn't understand the concept of real estate syndication. Right. And I've been, I've been sitting back just kind of laughing to myself. I'm like, I'm literally going to have to give a free real estate education to my ex's lawyer just because he thinks he looks at it. I mean, and this is like a common viewpoint. So it's kind of hilarious that we're talking about this, but like the common public would view what we do as mm -hmm. hiding money, almost yes. illegal activity. Oh, you're embezzling. No, right. we're doing perfectly legal things. Yes. It's just things that you don't know or understand. And therefore, because you don't know or understand it, right. it's ooh, spooky, magical powers. <laughs> it's absolutely sorcery. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't it, isn't it hilarious that, that so many, even CPAs and attorneys, they're just as obtuse as, as uh, oh my god! It is frustrating for me, like finding a good CPA that yeah. gets this stuff and yeah. understands how to maneuver everything so mm -hmm. that I can maximize the deductions based on the cost segregation and the right. depreciation and everything else. It's like who actually understands this? And such a small percentage of them really truly get it. No, like you need a real estate investor who's also a CPA for them to go light bulb. Ah, and then sometimes that's the guy I want. 
Even then, sometimes yeah. I don't get it. You know, that's that's the frustrating part of it. And I've had people tell me, yeah, it, what you do is legal, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> I've heard that. And it's like, okay, <laughs> thanks for thanks for playing. I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, right. enough of that. I, I could rant about that all day. Um, I am fascinated that you went from real estate investing, apartment syndication, to digital marketing for, for smaller businesses. What happened? Tell me about that. So it's... I realized, I mean, what we do as investors, when you think of it from like the wholesaling perspective, what do we do to find properties? We are sending direct mail campaigns. We're emailing. We're cold calling. It's straight up marketing and sales. I mean, you're really more of a marketer and salesperson True. that happens to be your the big ticket product you're buying and selling is real estate. True. And when I started to connect those dots and put it together, I realized, wow, this is applicable to everything. And I can create cash flow for myself while I can't, you know, move property and funds right. around. Right. And so right. that's kind of how everything clicked in. And friend of a friend was like, Hey, I need help doing this whole car mm -hmm. dealership thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm in, let's do this. Right. And I picked up on it really quickly and was like, okay, so we're basically helping dealerships retain customers mm -hmm. as well as go out and aggregate new ones for right. them which is similar to what I was doing with real estate. And then I just started applying it and going down the rabbit hole of, oh, who else needs this? Oh, plumbers need this. Right. Oh, all the guys that I hire for real estate need this. Sweet. So it just got exciting from there. So uh, what of all the portfolio you have of services, what's the one that people uh, want the most? Honestly, I think think it's ads more than anything, really? like doing the paid per click ads, whether you're doing, and I try to do a combination when I'm putting together proposals for clients, because you have a particular audience on Facebook, mm -hmm. you've got another one on Instagram, another one on TikTok, mm -hmm. another one through Google, and the ads that you can do through Facebook and the impressions you're going to get are going to be different because it's from a visual perspective versus right. Google, where you Google something and just words pop up right away. And right. so you're, and then YouTube is video as well. So you, you're targeting different people, but the beautiful thing about doing the ads is once you start to hone in on your audience, like you don't have to do a whole lot in terms of maneuvering that ad set as you optimize, because you're working with the best AI in the world. You've got Google AI, Meta's AI, I yeah. Facebook changed their name, but it's really cool to know that I'm being backed by that AI and that's what's helping to continually optimize the campaigns. Now there's manual work to do because the robots aren't human still. They aren't right. always the best, but they see things that I sometimes don't and will start to include things where I'm like, oh, that's really cool there. And mm -hmm. so from a data perspective, I've started to take in a lot of this stuff and really try to drive the campaigns with more of a data-based approach mm -hmm. using data visualization and predictive analytics and everything, as opposed to just, you know, the old way that I was doing it, where I was kind of A-B testing and like, here, let's put three ads and kind of see what sticks. <laughs> right. I think, I think in marketing, you know, when I was getting my MBA, we talked about the throw, throw mud against the wall. Uh, yeah, spaghetti. It's it's yeah, feels like spaghetti. Sometimes. Well, in, in, our, in our campus, we was all about mud. Although if you get really angry, we'd be extra mud. But uh, you know, same <gasps> same principle, right? <laughs> yeah, but, for sure. Uh, no, it's this whole business is fascinating to me. Like I said, because I am not exaggerating. I did not have a website until 2018, and because I never exactly. needed it. I mean, literally, my one proof of existence was the fact that I would say go to the Better Business Bureau 
type my company name in, you'll see A plus ratings since, since 2004. See, and you were doing reputation management and you didn't even know it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I will tell you this is that because I was, I was doing so well with just being the first person to call someone in foreclosure. I was always first. And That's with it. the court filings. And then also I started later, I started building a nice referral a network with uh, wholesalers, and different people that, that, you know, cause who wants a short sale except someone who doesn't, you know, right. I, was, I was the weirdo that loved short sales. Right. You know, so I'm the counterintuitive guy, but, um, but I tell you what, even though I started playing with it in 2018, I wasn't really hundred percent ready. And when the, when the COVID mortgage for uh, moratorium hit, I mean, it hit me hard. Because I had wow. I had no plan B. And I've been doing that since 2002, right? 18 years of yeah. doing it one way and always never having to worry about money. Easy ride. I was thinking to myself, I was so smug thinking, I got it made. You know, people are always going to go into foreclosure. I know how to get get them first. You know, for, it's just like, it's like if I was a bank robber. I mean, you ever see the, I mean this is a guy thing, but you ever see Goodfellas? The um, Goodfellas? Yes, okay. I did. Anyway. Usually women, you know, at the risk of being stereotypical here, usually it's because they, they watch it with a man. Because, I mean, mafia movies for certain men like I, that, that's that's everything. I'm, I'm a little bit of an odd cat. I kind of have a little bit of a thing for the mafia stuff. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, <laughs> you remember when they were talking about how they used to use JFK, although it was called Idlewhite back then. JFK yeah. as a bank, as an ATM. When we needed money, mm-hmm. we'd just go down there and, and we, we'd steal, you know. And I had the same kind of attitude. Every day was a new foreclosure list from the courts. So right. it was right there. I never, and it never failed me ever right. until it didn't exist for two years. Yeah. And then and, what do you do? And then it was just like, well, I mean, I had an existing pipeline and we still had people. I mean, it, it didn't really start hitting me hard until late last year, a year ago. Gotcha. Okay. Because by that time you had, it already gone, existing pipeline had moved to its way through. And, you know, we were able to get people going back you know, a year, two years before the moratorium, because they had their foreclosures were still in limbo, right? So we could right. still do well, whereas we were getting 20 plus a, a month before COVID, then we were lucky to get, it was 15, and it was 10, and it was eight. And then now, you know, last, yep. the last six months, we're lucky to get one a month, you know? So wow. um, like, you know, divorce, you know, and the difficulties that arose with that forced you to pivot to, to digital marketing. I had to pivot to taxes, because I knew how I had implemented a system, you know, to use this trust to be able yeah. to basically not pay taxes and legally and also get 100 percent asset protection. So um, I realized, OK, that's something that anybody who's not W-2 will value. Yes. I had to pivot and go after that hard. And so, uh, you know, it's a hard thing to learn at 58 that, that, you know, your poop doesn't stink and that, you know, and the one thing that was, was absolutely bulletproof is not bulletproof, you know? Yeah. And no, I totally get it. I mean, look, I thought, I felt the fear of it when we first started in the pandemic too, just because I had just finished my multifamily like course and I was looking for properties and I'm getting ready to go in on something. I went to one of these events probably three weeks before the toilet paper craze hit. And I was all excited. I had all these new business partners were throwing deals around right. and that's where the 42 units started to happen. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we start, we got everything lined up for the 42 
And the bank went, sorry, we can't loan on this right now because COVID. And we're like, right. what the hell do we do? And this is before like the boom started to happen because it busted right. for a couple months there yeah. at first. And I'm like, what the heck do I do? And yeah. so we start scrambling, end up having to find another bank. I mean, it was like, pulling teeth and every creative move in the book to get this little deal to happen. Mm -hmm. And somehow, you know, we ended up like the market sort of did that little correction come July and everyone's like, Oh, we're actually in a good place for real estate. Yeah. Let's go start buying. And the things started to lift again. So that's when we ended up closing the deal, but it was like, God, seven months in the making Mm -hmm. longest deal closing ever. But I mean, that's just how it goes in real estate sometimes. And you just, you kind of sit back and go, I don't know what to do. I don't, I like, I was applying for grocery store job because I thought, holy hell, I just paid all this money for this program and real estate just crashed again. What am I going to do with my life? <laughs> I hear you. I mean, I got to the point where I literally, I, I, cause my wife is Russian and so she lives in Moscow. So we wow. just for 18 months because of COVID. And oh then, God. and unfortunately, you know, Murphy's law, my visa had just expired. When oh COVID my gosh! Was, and the embassy, Russian embassy, was not giving visas out, so right. I had to wait a year. And by the time they were ready to get you visas, my U.S. passport had expired, so I had to wait for mine to get done. So it was like eighteen months. And so then, okay, cool, all right. So I was able to go over there, you know, see him for the first time in the summer. Then I went back over uh, in February of this year, and the war started. You know, and oh then, my gosh. And now we're apart again. Who knows when it's gonna when it's gonna end. But but I remember <sighs> and with all this stuff happening, so the war and then you know, we, we we our pipeline was pretty much done. And I said, Okay, I'm gonna have to take a flyer on this. And I, I went back to my my early days when I was just getting started as a real estate investor, and literally I was having to supplement my food with gas cars going down to 7-Eleven and getting the hot dogs. The hot dogs and the nacho and a big gulp. I lived on that for weeks at a time sometimes between stuff, you know, so it was really, so wow. I thought to myself, okay, what do I have to do to get the most bang for my buck? So I, I had, I still had a lot of miles left. So I got a ticket to Vegas. I used my miles for, for a uh, um, hotel. And I went to this capital raising seminar, fundraising. And I wore a shirt that said, I don't pay capital gains. In the back, it said, F the IRS. Okay. And I thought to myself, okay, if anybody's going to be attracted to tax savings, this is the way to do it. Oh, yes, definitely. And I started this thing and it just, it's been going. I mean, I can't say it's it's been, it's been a totally smooth ride, but I tell you, um, you know, but it's what I'm saying when you, when you are faced with those types of situations, bold action is what's necessary, right? What would, what would I be right now if I had been like your clients, some of your clients and said, I'm going to pull back on my marketing? Yeah. You'd be still scrounging the 7-Elevens. I'd, and I'd be working with you in that grocery store. store. Exactly. <laughs> We'd be bagging groceries together. I'm checking on your bagging. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, you know, thank you for automatically assuming I'm going to be the one bagging, you know, doing the, doing the grunt work. So that's great. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> no, so um, this is great. So it's interesting, um, you know, how this all works. And isn't it funny how when when we're in the middle of it, it's like the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that's so the beauty of the journey. Grateful 
that that, that yes. happen, right? Yes. I was getting so jaded by short sales. You know, I mean, at the risk of sounding like a superficial man going through a midlife crisis, you know, I was running yeah. short sales. That was my that was my you know trophy wife. I love short sales. It was the best. Let me tell you, eighteen years in, I was looking to trade in for a new model. You know, it lost its luster. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to find something. And I'm saying not doing short sales anymore. I mean, it's slow, but I, I never, I never, I'm not, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to walk away from a, a business of any millions. But yeah. I want to be, you know, just riding that train. And that's it. Nothing else. I wanted. Right. I, I can outsource a lot of that stuff, but I wanted to do something else that was that was passion. I was passionate about. And I realized that as I got into the tax thing, that's what made me. I, that's the passion. There's nothing I like better. Like I said, for example, yesterday I did a presentation for, you know, a Tampa multifamily commercial real estate group. And there was about maybe 25 people there. And it was if I was, it was if I was proving to them that Santa Claus was actually real. They had never heard. They were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You know, and I realized it's a high for me. I love it. I love teaching people about that. And yeah. I don't know if I will ever go back to, to doing full-time short sales just because it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me like it used to because we change right i mean we grow older we change totally. and so forth and so that's a roundabout way of leading to my next question for you is do you where are you most passionate now is it your digital marketing business or is it or is it real estate i mean what do you think it's really more digital marketing and it's interesting like you kind of mentioned how you were getting tired of short sales the universe has a very interesting way of kind of manifesting the things that we want when we start putting those energies or those frequencies out there. And that's really where the name of my company, Fifth Frequency Marketing, comes from, because it was a culmination of me putting out there that I needed a change. I needed to do something different. And just based on the you know circumstances, and I found this thing that I absolutely love. I have a creative side. I like making movies. I'm an actress. I do all of that stuff in the entertainment world. And mm -hmm. so the marketing kind of puts all of that stuff together. The part, the analysis part that I love from real estate and creating right. deals and putting deals together with mm -hmm. this creative aspect of I have to come up with campaigns and videos and all kinds of content creation that ties back to the entertainment side, the creative side of me. Right. And you know, the universe saw the opening when this change in my life happened. And so, you know, that is really the fifth frequency is us kind of putting those things out there. It's kind of like when you have those thoughts of, oh, I wonder how this person's doing. And next thing you know, they're calling or texting you and you're like, well, that's yeah. interesting. But that's the frequency right there. And you and I both had that happen. We put yeah. that out into the frequency and here it has manifested itself into this beautiful thing that we could have never seen while we were in that like pit of pain of the low yeah. trying to figure out what was next it, so it happened very similar to me when i got my first divorce and you know it, i my career path was i was a russian major in college it was wow. service. it was i want to be a slavic language expert it was all the state department i worked for two years in the embassy uh it, it wasn't an internship i was paid for it but um you know i met my wife future wife and at that time it was still the soviet union this is a long time ago, right? And cho chose love over over career. And next thing you know, I had to pivot because the, the government was gone. I lost my security clearance. You know, Soviet citizen married to an American. No, that's not going to happen. That would not have flown. I don't think it would fly now, but definitely back then it wouldn't have flown. So 
I had to pivot, you know, and at the time in Russia, there was, uh, I mean, if you spoke fluent Russian, you had an American passport, all these Western companies were coming in to set up joint ventures and start their own brand and everything back. This is like in the late eighties, early nineties. And so I went from having no business experience at all. People were just throwing money at me because I spoke the language and I was an American. So from then on, I caught the entrepreneurial bug and I look back and I think to myself, I hated her for a while, but now I realize, God, what a blessing. I would not have been happy in the state department, you know, knowing my yeah. life now. And so, but you're right. You know, when you're in the, the crap, right. It's hard to see. Yeah. It's hard to see. It is. Later, hindsight's 2020. You realize, mm -hmm. wow, you know, good. I'm glad it happened. It, it served me. Although at the time it didn't, it didn't feel like it was serving. Right. So well, it's when those those situations happen, like those really like I remember losing my job back in 2007 when I was working for an electrical contractor out of college. Yeah. And like that was the only job offered to me. No developers were hiring. So I'm like, I don't know anything about electrical. Right. Took it. And I just kind of hung on a year into this job. I saw the writing on the wall. I'm like, there's no projects to bill me to. I'm right. basically a project manager. And if you can't build to something, mm -hmm. you're kind of out. And right. so one of the guys that worked with me said, Hey, you should go get a license. Like we're, I started picking up and like meeting with people and just doing the business development, the sales side of things. And he said, go get a license. We can just start doing these smaller jobs on the side that this our, the big company we work for doesn't want to do. I'm like, that's a good idea. Okay. So I just figured I'm picking up a side hustle. Yeah. And next thing you know, I lose the job and I'm like, Oh my God, how do we survive? We can't pay the mortgage, all of this stuff. And I realized, wait a minute. I've built up this whole thing on the side. All I, he's my, my buddy still worked at the company. He goes, just keep doing what we're doing. We'll yeah. get the jobs in. I made $8,000 in a month on a small TI. And I was like, yeah, holy cow. Like after I paid out all the expenses, I paid my electrician a really great wage. And yeah. I did him piecemeal instead of hourly, just because right. I knew productivity wise, I'd get what I needed out of them. And right. next thing you know, a $15,000 job made me 8,000 bucks. And I was like, Wow, and I estimated low. This is great. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I'll so I mean, I never forget the first short sale I did. I made thirteen thousand seventy-one dollars and seventy-two cents. I mean, not that I've not that I've memorized or anything. Not not no, that I put the check on the wall. No, you don't have to print it all. Why would I do that? You know. But isn't that, isn't that crazy? There's just nothing, and this is the. For a lot of people, it's okay. But I feel sorry for the people who are in jobs who never experienced that that triumph. Yeah. But you yeah. feel when you break through, right? Yes. So again, circling, you know, long, you know, long entryway to the next question. Uh, what was the breakthrough moment for you in your digital marketing business when you realized, ah, oh, this is it. I got it. So I had a little stint where, and just to kind of paint my financial picture. I paid for the entire year of rent in advance because I hadn't, I didn't have any cash flow or anything coming in when I left my now ex-husband. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to just at least set myself up to have the basic needs covered. Right. And I have a pile of cash from the sale of property and I'm just going to kind of ride it until I can figure out what the next thing is. Mm -hmm. And the digital marketing came along, but I was like, okay. I'm not making enough from this to cover the rent when the rent comes due next year. I'm in LA. My rent's 4,500 a month. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I need to earn. And so it, wow. it lit a fire under my ass, so to say. Yep. And I ended up learning high ticket sales. Mm -hmm. 
And I started jumping in to sell high ticket programs for coaches on top of doing the digital marketing business. And it was a huge strain. I mean, I'm probably working 14 to 16 hours a day, but man, when you start getting, like you start breaking through your first $10,000 month, that's kind of like that pivotal moment where you go, wow. I mean, I remember walking into Bloomingdale's. I happened to be walking around a mall with my two daughters. We walk into Bloomingdale's and I'm like, I want to show you the purse that I really want. Mm-hmm. Hadn't bought this thing yet. And I saw a dress I liked. I decided I'm going to go try on this dress. Mm-hmm. And my daughter saw it on me. She's like, that's beautiful, mommy. You need to buy it. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the price tag and I was just like, I can afford this $490 dress. And I get to the register. It happened to be on sale for only $198. But I, being able to do that, because I've always been like shopping at Goodwill. I buy used stuff. Like I'm incredibly frugal. So this was kind of this first pivotal moment where I actually spent real money. And most gals would probably laugh at me because they're like, that's not designer. For me, it was a big deal. (laughs) But I spent $200 on a dress for myself. And I've never, ever done that since my wedding dress was 200 bucks. Yeah. So that was kind of the big moment for me realizing I can actually afford to do certain things, but then I just kept putting the money into back into the business as opposed to buying more $200 dresses. Like I treated myself a little bit and then everything else went back into building the business. And so I just continued to get tools, buy courses and continue to grow and expand my knowledge and everything. Yeah. My, my biggest splurge was I, when I bought, I got a Mercedes. Good for you. It, within six months of eating my last hot dog on a credit card, you know, a gas card, I bought a Mercedes, you know, and uh, yes. was, I didn't do the, I didn't do the S class. I did the E class. And uh, so it was like kind of the middle of the road, you know, but you went medium. Yeah. It wasn't a C class, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But anyway, but you know what? It was great. I loved it. I'll never buy Mercedes again. I'm fine with a Honda. I'm fine with a Honda. I'm just not that guy. So um, anyway, it's um, it's just it's it's interesting how that works, right? I mean, this whole yeah. Why we love to be entrepreneurs is why we love. I don't. Could you ever imagine working for anybody again? I can't. No, I I never will. I mean, I I've been an entrepreneur for so much of my life. I mean, that's what's really strange. Outside of my internships in college the first job I had outside of college. And then I had a brief stint working for a hedge fund, but outside of those experiences, I mean, I've literally been self-employed for my entire life. It's kind of crazy. And I look at like people going, well, you don't have a 401k. I'm like, correction. I have real estate investments. I have a self-directed 401k. Like I've got certain vehicles and I'm teaching my daughters that level of finance right now too. Like my daughter came to me, she goes, mommy, I want to learn sales and I want to have a business. I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I've started her on the path where I've got a children's book that I'm putting out there. We're going to have product and gear on it. So she's going to help do the sales and start to push that kind of thing. How old is and she? I mean, she's seven. Wow. That's great. Yeah. But I want them to learn now because Let's be honest, does school really teach you how to be an entrepreneur? I have to unschool my daughters if I want them to get into the mindset of owning a business and not working for one. And it's undoing all of that. Like their dad is very opposite of me. He's a W-2, very intelligent guy, but he's a W-2 guy and he always will be. And he teaches them to go down the cow path, go to school, go to college, get married, get a job, the whole nine yards. And I'm like, 
don't depend on a man for money and you don't need a job. You need to learn how to move money and, you know, create for yourself. Because if you're a creator and not a consumer, that is the entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. Yes. You know, I'm going through the same struggle right now. My wife, I'm in Soviet background, right? Yeah. They had no entrepreneurship there back in the day. And so my son chose to go to the university there. And so I just I just shake my head. Gotta get that degree. Gotta get that degree and then get your master's degree. And he's like, why? And then I, I said, he should be working for me. You right. know, and I'll teach him how to make money and how and then all this stuff here. I said, I'll give him a trust. Never pay taxes again. Nobody can sue him. All this stuff. No, he needs to. He needs to get his degree first. And it's like, I said, I guarantee you. I guarantee you, because I gotta pay for the damn degree, right? So exactly. <laughs> it's like he'll never use it. He'll never use it. I. The only time I, I have two useless degree, pieces of paper. I'm with you. The only time I ever <laughs> used my MBA degree was to get hired at a job that I quit 18 months later. Right. That's it. And that's where I'm at. I have a medical degree and I have a master's in, you know, healthcare. And then I've got a bachelor's in engineering. And let me tell you how much I use either of them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. So the irony is, is that all my entrepreneurial skills and my ability to to pivot and everything, I went through, you know, the school of hard knocks in Russia in the 1990s when it was transitioning to democracy, but it was the wild East. You know, when I had business partners, you know, killed you know and different things and i had the mafia come to my come to my uh office in moscow with a picture of our apartment building and with a circle where my our window was that so we know where your family lives you know i mean oh man you so you've got like a movie script of a life I could, i've been told to do that but frankly i don't really want to talk about it <laughs> uh, yeah i was gonna say it sounds like there's some people in your past that maybe you don't want to dig up those skeletons it's not about that it's just it's just that um you know it's 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 a long time ago like i said but uh, i'm telling you if you if you didn't you did not learn how to pivot you were dead sometimes sometimes literally dead you know so yeah. coming back to america and i used all those skills in my um you know, setting my real estate business up and so forth. And I think to myself, you know, a minute, uh, an MBA in finance did not help one thing, but working for five years in Moscow was like a master's degree in entrepreneurship because there was nobody to help, you know, at all. And that's the thing is, is, you know, education, there's so much lack of education for real life knowledge about how are you going to make money you no longer yeah. i mean we've done this for a long time my dad worked as a, as a, at the union pacific railroad for 33 years got a pension got social security and he died basically broke and but yeah. that was what his but he felt like he was the luckiest guy in the world because he did the right thing and that's yeah. gone. you're not going to even listen most people not going to they're not going to they're not going to fund their retirement it's not going to happen no matter how yeah. many IRAs you have or 401ks or whatever, it's not going to be enough. You have yeah. to learn how to make money passively, actively, or whatever. But you have to, and, and that is not taught. And, and unfortunately, right. most courses don't give you the entire cookie. So you're always oh, trying to pay more and more and more. And so you're on, in Russian, they call it, you're on the needle. You know, you're on the needle here because you're always, you know, you, you're dependent on them. You know, so yeah. I agree. We're off on a real big tangent here. I don't want to go on that, but, but uh, um, <laughs> it's fascinating though. When I start making on the needle references, I know I've, I need to wrap this up. So, 
but um, listen, uh, tell me, tell you know, my listeners, my viewers here about your business and how to contact you. Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram and on TikTok. Okay. Um, I am, I've got Vienna's beehive on TikTok, which will eventually be the podcast I'm launching. Okay, and awesome. it's going to kind of surround like empowering women and people who have come from a divorce situation and how to pivot and, you know, dive back into the world of entrepreneurship and be better than you were before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Instagram, it's just Vienna Hayden, Facebook, same thing. And my website is fifthfrequency.com and it's five T H. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's a number five not spelled out. So I I took a little bit of a different approach there, but all good. But yeah, hit me up and reach out. Let's connect. I love finding ways to help businesses. Mm -hmm. And one of my new passions has been, you know, kind of pivoting into a healthcare perspective. Yes, I'm actually using my master's degree. It's exciting. But I'm working with healthcare practices to help them, you know, transform and look at a playbook of what bills out at the highest rate with insurance and then build out marketing campaigns based on those things to target the right patient populations. That's awesome. That's awesome. I just got I just got um, invited on a podcast that's directed towards physicians about the fact that it's paying so much in taxes. So I think the yes. amazing to get into it. So oh yeah. And that's the thing that's huge for you. <laughs> You've got to teach those because they look, they don't learn any of that stuff in medical school. They don't learn marketing. They don't learn about money. They just make a bunch and they're like, I can drive a nice car finally and not eat Campbell's soup. <laughs> <laughs> not that I would ever eat Campbell's soup. No, never in my life. But uh, anyway, um, listen, it's been great to have you on. And uh, yeah, thank you. I think it's great. If you don't mind, I'd like to reach out, you know, maybe uh, next year and just get an update and see how things are going with the new venture and and so on and so forth. Absolutely. I'd love that. And we'll keep in touch in the meantime. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Don.